0: All right. So unbeknownst to all the viewers, we just added Ed into the next section here, but we're into podcast number 27. And what we're going to be chatting with this one is a little bit of hazmat. So you probably remember Ed from the Veterans Transition podcast, obviously the one just on Ottawa. Ed is Ottawa Fire, but he's also been with Ronan Rescue for a couple years now, teaching rescue, uh, some of our industrial classes. And hazmat for a lot of it. Um he's basically been coast to coast and into the territories now teaching Haz, haven't you Ed? Yeah, I haven't been to the territories per se,
1: but uh been south in the Caribbean teaching the very low end of Hazmat, the TDG and the women's down there. So
0: oh that's right, Cuba. So yeah he's uh he's seen both the industrial and the fire service end of hazmat, and that's something that we we're gonna chat about today. Uh we're also gonna chat about CBRN stuff. So I guess without any further ado, hasmath changed over now to four seventy-two from what was it was, or sorry, to ten seventy-two from four seventy-two. Is that not the way it's moved now, Ed? It's
1: not so much changed as they there was a gap uh, that was identified in four seventy-two where it uh, give you the broad strokes of what each um each competency level needed to do it laid out the uh, what the AHJ needed to have a hazmat team or what to, how to call it, the the levels of training required it didn't have any job performance requirements um and that's where 1072 comes in is that it actually details down to the nitty- gritty like uh, thousand six does compared to 1670. and 70. It details what you actually need to do at each proficiency, at each competency level, either awareness, operations, mission specific or technician level, what you actually need to be able to do to call yourself that uh, that level and what the, uh, the accredited agencies need to meet in order
0: to do that. Okay, so a lot of the, let's call them civilian clients that we have, not the fire clients or military clients that are looking for 472 ten seven two hazmat training is the NFP a good standard for that, or is there something else we should be looking at, like a or in the states for those type of people?
1: Um, I think it's definitely because there's so many contractors out there that do cover uh, that handle the stuff all the time. Uh, the you know the environmental waste cleanup agencies, the disposal companies. Um, if you're if you're a company that has that's been identified as needing hazmat training the one thing i've always found going into it is they're expecting some really low level uh mopping up type skills uh absorbing neutralizing uh diking damming and that's what they're expecting and any hazmat tech will tell you that stuff is any monkey can do that and that's not where the bulk of your hazmat expertise should be it needs to be in the product identification the research and identifying the hazards and estimating potential harm, uh, which is one of your uh, steps, one of your command steps, um, that can be, that is where the bulk of your actual work needs to be done in order to figure out how you're actually going to deal with the problem. And that's what I try to focus on teaching this stuff. Is you know, literally anyone can dike, uh, can, dike can dike a spill or put absorb all down, and you don't need a four day course to do that. You need the four day course to understand what absorbent to use what the long-term effects of that product being spilled are going to be uh, what how to identify that product how to identify the hazards of that product and how to look up all this information that's out there and then bring it all together into a plan to to deal with it
0: okay so how do you find that the industrial or civilian crowd find that training or are they just now oh, look we just want you know give us the number to throw down on here or the you know which absorbable to throw down or are they receptive to having some more of that training and the identification and the long-term effects and the health effects and how that's going to affect environment and neighbors and these sorts of things?
1: They're definitely more uh, more receptive to it once you explain to them why you do it. If if it's an industry that has one single product that you need to train on, then you can certainly tailor it and you, you only need to worry about that one product. But the majority of courses I've done were for uh, federal agencies that had a chunk of land they were responsible for with major transportation corridors going through i'm thinking of one specific client and then uh, so they're expecting some fuel spills here and there once you realize once you show them how to identify the products that are actually moving through those areas and what they actually need to worry about um they were very appreciative of learning all the different um databases that you could access uh the tdgrs uh, wiser the all the apps that have all this information and health and imp- well, you know the hazard information about hazardous materials and then how to plan a response to it
0: it's interesting you say that i mean i've taught one particular client and it's the same thing they're like oh we only have x y and z on here and i brought up a uh, an acid in the scenario and they're like we don't even have acid here so I walked them outside and I took them to their laydown yard. yard. Um, there was literally 50,000 liter totes of acid in their laydown yard. And they had no yep. idea. It was even on site. Some contractor had brought it in in order to do some work in one of their, uh, in order to clean out one of their um, items being very vague here. So I can't identify the client. And yet they yep. had no clue that there was like literally thousands of liters of this stuff sitting in their laydown yard.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, and I've seen that with cli- kind of similar clients as well, uh, industrial ones. But the one site I did teach at, uh, they had a register that a, it was a bit out of date and it was hard for them to keep up. But they did have a literally in their operating plan, they had a list of everything that was on site and everything that was identified coming in or out of site, either through their own work or subcontractors work. So,
0: OK, Um CBRN seems to be taking a forefront with HAZ. I know my fire department just sent two guys down to Baltimore. The majority of the conversation down there was CBRN. Is CBRN really a threat for the industrial client that we get? Is this more of something that's an emergency service threat? And should we be spending the time on CBRN that we are, or we should be worried more just about our regular HAZMAT response? I know there's like four questions in there.
1: Yeah, no, um, for the CBRN in the industrial setting, yeah, like, when I cover it, because it's covered under 472, I may, uh, I don't go too much into the weeds about it, uh, as I would with a emergency responder, because you may not, like, the chances of them seeing it in an industrial setting are not that, um, not that big, but then again, it depends on the client, because certain high-profile clients uh, may be targeted by uh, terrorist activities, either, um and so they may see that they may need to understand what the signs and symptoms are at a very basic level um so it's definitely more an number like a municipal or government uh agencies area of concern um and it's hard to say whether we're putting too much focus on it i'd say we're i think we need to keep the same focus we've had on it because um you know, CBRN isn't just your nerve agents, your blister agents, your blood agents. Uh, as we just talked before this, a chlorine tanker could be a uh, a CBRN event if, if, it's in, if it's an intended release, if it's done with intent. And that's one of the definitions I've seen somewhere is a CBRN event is just a hazmat call with intent. Whereas a hazmat call, it's accidental. And that's the biggest difference. And so the CBRN, you're involving law enforcement in that.
0: Okay, that's interesting. And just to reiterate that. Um, so you're saying a CBRN event is hazmat with intent. A hazmat event is just hazmat by accident.
1: Generally speaking, yeah. Like, uh, may, you know, it could be negligence, or uh, it could be there could be some criminal element to it. But a CBRN event, uh, it's got the intent to cause harm. It's got the intent to cause panic. It's got the intent to disrupt uh, either economically or in a life safety sense too. Whereas that uh, the hazmat release could just be like say negligence. Um, could be criminal in some way, but not with the intent to hurt or cause panic in lots of people.
0: Yeah, it's the old uh, financial combustion one. I don't need it anymore, so it's time to get rid of it. Yeah, the hazmat version of that. Um, So we've got our, obviously, our three levels in NFPA Awareness Ops Tech. you got some mission-specific stuff in there written as well, which I honestly think they should move into with rope rescue. That's total tangent. Um, who should have awareness as far as the, you know, let's go fire service one or emergency response. And then, you know, industry should everybody have awareness should certain people have awareness. What's your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, See, the, uh, the awareness is already kind of covered in industry through WIMIS and TDG. Um, and that actually kind of gives you a, a, and depends on what level or what your private organizations actually doing if it's just maintaining or using these chemicals then you um then they, the the women's uh and tg are good enough for transporting and that they do uh, a good job of telling you how to find these hazards in the sds's the awareness level is definitely more for first responders i think all police should have it all ems should have it and um, definitely definitely all fire um but obviously the training burden on that's quite large um but it's definitely a good course to have for all emergency responders just to identify even just the hazards that are normal, any sort of emergency accident. You know, you, nine times out of ten, there'll be a hazmat component to that, whether it's a fire, the uh, the products of combustion, whether it's an NBC with the fluids being spilled, whether it's even just a medical scene with the biohazards. That still kind of comes under hazmat because that's under that 6.2 right there, class, hazard class 6.2, to uh, talk poisonous uh, and infectious materials.
0: And it's interesting because most fire are supposed to have ops in order to get their their seals. But it's amazing how many firefighters you deal with that, like, just that awareness stuff like that, just to refresh it. I mean, I've been sitting in this career field for just over two decades now. And although I am a tech, I think I took my tech course in 2006. So, you know, refresher training would be required on these every once in a while. So when we get into our operations, once again, uh, emergency response, who should have it, and industry, what, what, to what level should we be looking at with industry people that for operations level?
1: I'd say it, it boils down to sort of uh, for the industry, it boils down to the quantities of products that they have. If it's a lab, if it, you know, if you're dealing with sort of less than. 500 liters of a, and again, depends on the hazard class of the product. Um, You could definitely look at uh, just keeping your awareness and maybe some specific handling training uh, on the on those chemical hazards. But if you're in a in an industry with lots of chemical processes where you have uh, an emergency response team. Anyone who's delegated, whether it's an industrial fire brigade, a uh, sort of volunteer emergency response team, those people should definitely have uh, training in both PPE, uh, which is one of the mission-specific components of ops level, and just product um, or uh, scene mitigation. So, not any. So, they definitely need training in defensive actions for containing these spills or preventing from the scene from getting worse. Uh, just due to the fact that you want to stop the product running into into drains, running into creeks, running out into the street, uh, or spreading throughout your facility. So ops level for industry industry definitely on. If you have if you're looking at large volumes of products, uh, different hazard classes, then you definitely want to consider that.
0: And for other first responders, police, um, ambulance personnel, paramedic um, operations for them, yes, no.
1: Um, no, uh, there, there is a CBRN basic course and we're kind of going back to the CBRN side, um, and th- f- touching on my, on the last podcast with the ESU, one of the other mandates of it was, uh, sort of. Establishing cordons in a CBRN event, so they would man the sort of, uh, the, that protective distance uh, between the warm zone and the cold and the hot zone, uh, and they're trained in uh, the, multi, the, uh, the multi-threat the suits, basically the, the mop gear that they have, as well as uh, respirators. Uh, all patrol in Ottawa have issued C-50 respirators, so they do have some PPE, but whether, that, whether police and ambulance need the product control or the product uh, or the sea mitigation techniques? I'd say no. Uh, They have another task on that scene rather than putting an absorb all down or putting socks and booms down.
0: It's interesting. I mean, I had, um, I guess it's a mass cash. We had uh, 42 workers overcome by CO fumes in a greenhouse that they were cleaning. Migrant workers, cold outside being Canada, closed all the windows and doors, weren't educated in the fact that running 17 Gas-powered pressure washers in there would create an issue uh, to the point that two of them, I believe, had to go to uh, the chamber in order for CO poisoning, and 42 ended up in hospital. Uh, ambulance arrived on that, and I wasn't aware at the time, I'm out in British Columbia, that they have a CBRN unit. I mean, I kind of knew they did, and those guys are trained to haz tech as well. And it was interesting to have them at that level in order to chat with me. I was the hazmat officer on that. Every once in a while, I do have to change hats at work and go back and do, you know, the layman work at the hazmat unit. Um, (laughs) You know, I only do rescue. Um, But, yeah, this was one of those where it's nice to have them because I can kind of speak a certain language that they understand. And for the medical considerations and what have you, they're not entering. But they're another resource I had in my truck that was available there. And I say in my truck, we have a big you know, slide out, you know, command center kind of thing that I can sit in and just get feedback, basically. Um, And it's nice to have them to that training because they understand some of the things that we're doing and can provide us direct feedback. And they can also then talk to their people because obviously with 42 patients, I mean, ambulatory, but that's a lot of ambulances. We ended up using a city bus to get them moving, the rest of them. Yeah. Or critical were or taken by ambulance uh we probably had 27 i think it was on a city bus and they can then they can talk to me and speak my language go talk to the paramedics and then speak the paramedic language as well so it was interesting to have at least one person on that scene trained to understand what we're doing
1: yeah oh absolutely and you know we had a we had an event last winter uh we had a fire in a chemistry lab in a, at a university um and once we started talking to the people who own the lab, we figured out there's some really na- potentially nasty stuff in there. So as crews were coming out, they were getting a, a gross decon and then put into Tyvek's and sort of held in one area because we didn't, we still hadn't had a proper product identification done yet. We knew what could be in there, but we didn't know what had been exposed, what had been burned, what had been splashed on guys. And so we had uh, some CBRN medics, tactical medics. Uh, We explained the situation to them and they just stayed in that sort of uh, quarantine area and they monitored the guys. They knew they they were looking for any sort of signs and symptoms, which if they did find anything, that could come back to us and that could be part of our algorithm to figure out what this product idea is. As it turns out, it was all clear. Nothing major was actually spilled or broken. but it would get again. We, those guys knew exactly what, what we were doing and why we we're doing it, and we knew that they 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 would with their hazmat training, because they're four seven three trained as well as CBRN advanced trained. Uh, we knew if they came to us and said these guys are showing these symptoms of this product, that it was that they knew why that was happening. So again, that commonality of language was there for sure.
0: Right on. Okay, so we get to the full tech end. I mean, obviously, first responder hazmat teams tech. We just talked a little bit about paramedics with. You know, their CBRN teams having some tech people on them. So let's look specifically at industry. What industry should be out there running to a tech level?
1: I would say any, any site that's remote um, that doesn't have the tech level in their jurisdiction and their sort of civilian jurisdiction. For example, one of the clients I taught, uh, the nearest tech team would have been three hours' drive away. Um, so they're training to an ops plus level. And I did sort of recommend to them that look you may want to look at tech level for some of the and they had they did they had some quite a few nasty corrosives there but they're looking at bringing in a cyanide analog as part of the to change one of the processes uh, and anyone who knows chemistry will know what kind of facility I'm talking about by now but uh they're looking at bringing in sort of hydrogen cyanide in big rail cars uh which is definitely a tech level sort of issue when you're talking about a leak from that and the pp required to go into that um and it was also an like, also it was an economically significant site as well as environmentally significant too. If uh, if anything had gone horribly wrong, there could have been some long term downstream effects from that. So that would be a place I would recommend tech to. Uh, but if you're in a major city with an already functioning team, well trained team that you've that has pre planned your facility, this is something you may not need to worry about as much.
0: Okay. Um. Rescue hazmat crossover. I mean, confined space, I've termed it, you know, when I'm chatting with guys, is rope rescue in a hole with a hazmat element. Is there, should the rescue technicians as they move forward from confined space into trench and then into things like USAR where you're, you know, city services, or if you're going into industrial sites that are now collapsed, should our rescue teams have a better grasp of hazmat?
1: It definitely wouldn't hurt uh, give you a better idea of the the hazards that are in these spaces um thinking about USAR, you know one of the hazards you don't realize is rescue generator carbon dioxide and i think you talked about that in one of the GRIMP podcasts when the guys were working in the battleship uh they were depleting the oxygen just to the number of the exertion level of the guys in the holes and the the, the, the volume of the space so you were actually you actually saw physically a drop in the o2 levels um, so, understanding that, as well as in USAR, uh, yes, yeah, so the rescuers both generate carbon dioxide as well as consume oxygen. And from all the, if you're using sort of any heavy rescue equipment, cutting torches, broco torches, that sort of thing, the products and the hazards that are coming off of those processes. Uh, so, understanding that, and like you say, the any disruption in city services or uh, industrial facilities, Uh, what's going on there what could be in the bottom of these pits that are or these rubble piles right so
0: all right so i'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit um you're you work in an industry you have some hazmat the three biggest things like you could give the guy three tips right now hey you got hazmat in your industry what three things like if you're going to walk away listen to this podcast three things they could take away from right now that they could help help them with
1: Learn as much, like know know the products that are in your in your response area. Know what's going through there. Um, Pre-plan it as well, and then make sure your PPE lines up with that. If we've been to sites where you look at the products that they're using, and then you ask them to see their PPE, and they pull in a Tyvek and a P100 mask, I mean, you go, that's not quite what you need to use it. Um, So, yeah. overall is know the where the not necessarily know what the information is but know where to find that information and that's the biggest thing i try to teach people is you know that's there's so much information out there but there's getting it from the right sources and backing it up and making sure it's the applicable information for the scene is the biggest challenge for hazmat
0: okay um planning on hazmat which process do you find the most useful? Like, I know there's a bunch of different like processes or steps out there that are taught. Do you find one more useful than the other? Just
1: for the ease of memory and, the, and because, it you know, it's scalable, uh, I, I sort of always fall back on the API, the analyze, plan, implement and evaluate. Uh, it's pretty common sense. And when you look at it at the actual steps, you go, well, anyone would do that. But it's an easy thing to fall back on. And depends on the situation and, you know, the eight step process is just the API magnified and you're breaking down the analyze into, into bigger chunks. And so you could scale that up for the actual scenario for, or for the scene you're on, if it's a major incident, then you go to the eight step process because you've got more steps to worry about and bigger sort of consequences uh, for what's happening that you have to consider, uh, whereas the API is, Basically, for every incident you go to, you start off with the APIE, and then you can scale it up to an eight step.
0: Okay, if um, I missed anything in regards to hazmat that you want to chat about,
1: no, uh, I think we've covered the gamut. Um, I would just say I'd like to thank anyone who sat with us because normally people hear hazmat, and we probably lost a few listeners already because it's a it is a dirty <laughs> stepchild of the fire service, but it's a it's a growth industry, sadly.
0: That it is. Well, thanks again, Ed. I appreciate you uh, tuning in on this one. No
1: problem. Thanks, Mark.